and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. I'd like to introduce our guest on the show today. I'm going to be speaking with Bo Maxwell, who is the founder of The Sage Method, an intensive life-changing intuitive training program that teaches people how to open their intuition and live an authentic, blissful life. She also spends time working with psychic youth, participating in mediumship research, and building supportive spiritual communities. With a bachelor's degree from Minnesota State University with a major in mathematics and a minor in chemistry, Bo maintains a balanced perspective between this world and the next. So, Bo, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you for having me. I was really excited to speak with you today. Yeah. And, you know, I love to, uh, when I was reading over some of your material as well, that you really seem to be able to balance both of these worlds because I know your interest was primarily in mathematics and science and you come more from that background. And then I know that I'm I'm not going to give it away. I'll let you tell our listeners what kind of opened you up into this world of psychic ability and intuition. So maybe we can start there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, I think it's a kind of a fun story, uh, but a lot of people can relate to it as well. So I grew up 100% skeptic, non-believer, mathematical, scientific. Um, and then uh, sadly my grandmother passed, she was in Minnesota. I was in New Hampshire and about an hour after she passed away, she showed up in my living room and, we could just say it wasn't like, Oh, hi grandma. <laughs> it was more like, Wah! And, um, so it took me a while to adjust to this experience and she kept coming around and kept coming around. And I remember thinking to myself very logically, um, I need to either figure out if I have to be on meds because I have small children I'm raising, or is this real? It was one of those things where it was like, I need to take the chance if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told her, I said, I said, hon, please, you just, you gotta just raise the bar for proof for me. Okay. Like make it really strong because I'm really thinking that grief is playing with my mind. And she did over and over and over again. And I recall probably about 18 months later, maybe I just said, okay, that's it. There's nothing I can do, but, but dive in and change my mind frame and my model. And Next thing I knew, uh, more people started showing up and then I started talking to friends and then, um, I started doing readings (laughs) and then I became really Mm -hmm. fascinated in, in the intuitive space. How does it work? How do we increase it? Um, can everyone do this? I just became just this curiosity bundle of fire and I just wanted to know everything. And I spent a few years diving in and I found out really, really fascinating uh, concepts and ideas and understandings. And that was when the SAGE method was born. All right. So let's go into that. And I know that SAGE actually stands for something. So um, can you explain what the SAGE method is and kind of take us through it uh, piece by piece? Yes, the stage method was my way of trying to figure out, okay, how does this flow? Can everyone do it? Is it something you access? And what I learned very quickly was that intuition wasn't something that we gained. It was already there. 
Do you know what I mean? And it was a matter of uncovering it. So this is really, I, I figured out that it was really a matter of um, levels of clutter. Like how far disconnected are we from, you know, our pure natural intuition, which really is just the sixth sense. So from there I moved on and I was like, okay, well, I think that I need to, you know, really dive into exploring this with other people. And to be honest, it was more of an experiment at first Mm -hmm. (laughs) to some of my friends and some of my clients. I was like, Hey, you know, I really want to, you know, experiment with this. If, if people do this, does it open up their intuition more? And it just took off from there. And it was, um, it was really amazing to watch what would happen to these people who couldn't do, we'll just stereotypically say couldn't do a reading. And all of a sudden, weeks later, after all of these exercises are applied, now intuition is flowing through them on a, you know, smoother basis, obviously not right out of the gate, you know, (laughs) hour long, full of information readings, but these pieces of information that they couldn't get before. And so I spent a couple of years developing the course, understanding that the beginning of this was all about declutter. And then the middle of it was all about understanding what's happening and how it's happening. And then lastly, exercising it and showing yourself how you use your intuition, how it's unique to you. So it turned into kind of a formula. And that was about 12 years ago, and I'm still teaching it. (laughs) Wow. And can you uh, let our listeners know how the acronym came up and what each letter stands for? Oh, yes. Uh, SAGE is uh, self-empowerment, accuracy, growth, and ethics. The other part of this that was really exciting to me is um, the concept of creating, (laughs) creating is the wrong word, um, empowering intuitives that want to go out into the world and make a difference because, you know, sadly, and unfortunately there are some uh, people out there that are acting as intuitives, but maybe, um, are not very ethical about it. So the SAGE method itself does have four levels. There's a basic level. And then the second level is practitioners. So what I want to do is, you know, create a community of practitioners that people know if they go to them, they're accurate, they're ethical, um, but on a, on a personal level for themselves, they're self-empowered and they're always seeking growth as well as and that acronym fits for the people that take the course also. Great. And I'm curious to know, cause I've, I've spoke to a couple of, you know, different people who were either, uh, evidential mediums, psychics, intuitives. And, um, it's kind of, I, I remember one person saying that everybody has intuition, but not everyone is psychic. So do you think that there is a difference at, because I noticed that you use the word too, that you're training them to be intuitives. Uh, mm-hmm. is there this great difference between being intuitive and psychic? And what's your take on that? Oh, I love that question. This is one of my favorite questions, actually, because I completely agree. Everyone's intuitive. Intuition itself is the sixth sense. Um, But how that comes through you, that's a different definition. And I like to really stick with two solid ends of the spectrum. I find that people are either a medium or they are a psychic. And psychics can pick up information. They can read information off of people, objects, experiences, uh, history, they can get information from, you know, the universal source, et cetera, whatever way you want to express that. Whereas a medium is having a, uh, 
a conversation, a one-on-one conversation with a conscious being, whether that be a guide or a past loved one. So the analogy I like to use for that is if you have a psychic and a medium that are both going to do a reading, if the person that they're reading is a large body of water, like a lake, a psychic can dive into that water and swim around and find out information over here, over here, over here. Whereas a medium has to wait for somebody in a boat to come pick them up <laughs> and bring them out to the right spot in the lake and say, okay, dive in right there and find out that. So mediums are a little bit more led by guides or loved ones, whereas psychics are a little bit more free to explore. But yeah, I completely agree. Everyone's intuitive. It's a matter of where you know, do you land on that spectrum? Most people land in the middle. I like to joke that, you know, I'm 99.99% a medium. Um, and if I have a psychic moment, I run around, you know, all crazy telling my girlfriends, I can't believe I just did this. And they laugh. It's like, yeah, because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> medium. I am so not um, psychic. And both are awesome and both have their unique uh, abilities. But yeah, somebody will land somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. And, you know, I've come across um, some people in my life who have been doing this work, you know, many more years than I have. And I would say that I've come across people that also have all three. Like we, like you said, we all have that intuition. And then there are some people that do have that psychic ability and are also mediums, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So yeah, it's interesting. But one of the questions that seems to come up a lot especially when I'm teaching some of my students, you know, energy healing and, and also having them try to come into relationship with their own intuition and getting information, let's say during Reiki sessions. Uh, the question always is, how do I know if this is, if I'm really getting real data and information, or if this is just my imagination and I'm making this up and, um, you know, sometimes when people can describe it in different ways and people are listening, it might just set in with them to hear it described, um, you know, in a different way. So I kind of, I've asked people this question before, but I would love to hear your response as well. I, yeah, yeah, it's so tough that imagination, intuition piece. I think that I've heard probably 90% of my students express that. And that's one of their number one struggles because it's true. Something comes through and you think, Hmm, not sure if I made that up. Mm-hmm. What I can what I can do is give people future hope and say, eventually with time and with a lot of uh, intuitive moments, you'll start to feel the difference. The difference really is a, a pull or versus a push. So if it just pops into your mind, you didn't pull, you didn't push, it just popped in, and then you question it. I tell my students to go ahead and replay it. Uh, if you can't recreate it, it was most likely an intuitive moment. If you can easily recreate it over and over and over again, it's the same thing. It might have been your imagination. With that said, that's not a hundred percent, you know, cure to figuring that out because sometimes we can recreate it. So it's a really touchy thing. It's, it's tough for people. I say to, um, just say what you see, feel, and hear and work hard at trying to disconnect your intention. Really, that's the biggest piece for me is <clears throat> if you can hold yourself in a space of 
<laughs> sounds silly, but I don't care what comes through. I'm not, I'm not attached to it. You know what I mean? I just see a, a brown dog and a red umbrella. Like I don't, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to solve anything and just say what you see, feel, and hear. That's where your accuracy is going to increase. And you're going to step a little bit more away from your uh, imagination, but also with time, with, with time, with time, with time, it gets a little bit easier to feel that just subtle difference. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree too. And, um, and I think part of that too, like you said, it's, it's practice, you know, it's doing it over and over again. It's also getting that feedback, right? Trial and error of how many times, you know, you're, you're sharing the information that you're getting with people, either that you're reading, your friends, your family, and kind of being, you know, your own detective and learning what your accuracy rate is. And I think when you have that experience and you're repeating it over and over, that's kind of what you were talking about. You can begin to feel the difference. And I think the other thing that you said that was really important is also just removing the ego, right? Not being afraid to fail, not being afraid to get it wrong. So what if something, you know, came up? Um, but I've also heard people say that, you know, anything that you get at some point could be that intuitive hit or that psychic hit, because just because you may see a brown dog today doesn't mean that they, that may not be true for a person a year and a half down the road. You know, there's some people that can access that future, uh, you know, information and not, and feeling totally inaccurate in the current moment. Exactly. And as a reader, a professional reader myself, I've had so many moments where something bizarre has come through and uh, the sitter will say, I have no idea what that is. And on a rare occasion, somebody will reach out to me after the fact and say, oh, hey, I found out what that is. And, you know, but we don't get that feedback as professionals. So the more you can do work with, um, you know, classmates, friends, people that are, um, just helping you to say, okay, is this accurate? It's not accurate. And then holding maybe the inaccurate ones for a little bit to see, is it a future one? Like you said, and many times it is, but in the, in the moment, it doesn't make sense, but it will. Right. Now, switching gears just a little bit, because um, we haven't really had anyone talk about working with children or teenagers or youth with their intuitive ability. And I know that you have experience around that. So I wanted to just shift a little bit in the show to talk about how did that come to be? How did you begin working um, with intuitive youth? And uh, I bet we have some parents that are listening and probably have very intuitive children, and they may be questioning and wondering. Well, how do I not suppress this within my child? How do I not be afraid of it? How do I give them support? Um, so I'd love to start talking about that. Absolutely. Um, I have worked with so many amazing kids and it's just stunning sometimes what they're capable of. And I, I love to witness it with that said, it's very difficult sometimes to raise an intuitive child, <laughs> mm. but first off parents, you can't hide anything. <laughs> so if you're, you know, if you're out back sneaking that cigarette, they might know. Um, but, uh, which I, I laugh at when I see in the movies, but when it comes to kids, I remember the very first, 
uh, child that came to me, she was very young. Her mom brought her, she was around four years old. And, um, the mom was trying to figure out how to help her because she was having these moments, you know, like in the car, she would be driving somewhere and then just get really upset and anxious and start calling out one or two words, um, like, you know, big yellow crane or something like that. And then within 24 hours, the area that they were in, an accident would happen or something would, you know, somebody would become injured. So she was really frightened that her daughter was picking up on this stuff and she wasn't sure. So she brings her daughter the first day to kindergarten and she didn't, the daughter didn't want to go because she was scared of the dinosaurs in the sand. And the mom was like, okay, I, I think it's going to be all right. Well, they get there the first day and walk in and there's a sandbox full of toy dinosaurs. Ah, wow. (laughs) The mom said, all right, I, I think I'm not crazy. I think that this might be something. So I had never worked with a child before, but she brought her in. The girl walked right up to a stone that I had that represented my uh, grandmother who had passed and looked right at me and said, grandma. And I was like, whoa, this is stunning. Absolutely stunning. And this child had no limits. This child had no, and not in a bad way. I mean, she was never limited by anybody saying that's not real. So she just functioned purely with all six senses. Now, what we had to do is we had to learn how to work with her to create her magical protective castle that she would put around herself. And when it comes to children, it's usually about spiritual protection, helping them to not only protect their own physical space, but their own energetic space Mm -hmm. and encapsulate that in such a way that they're not as open as you know, they are just regular day to day because we live in this society. So teaching them to protect their own space uh, is a way of saying, okay, if you're not for this child's highest good, you're not allowed in. So the drives became a lot uh, easier for her over the years. She just kept, you know, tally on what was happening. And once the child got her magical castle, which she totally said was pink with sparkles, I thought that was great. Um, (laughs) Once she got that castle in place, the mom said there was rarely ever an experience of her passing through an area where somebody was going to be injured or hurt, and those reduced greatly. So that's really the key to working with the kids. Yeah. And, you know, children too, especially at that young, they really still have that ability to access the different dimensions, the different worlds. You know, I've heard people say they have one foot in this world and one foot still in the other. Yes, exactly. The harder one now is the teenager, mm-hmm. a little bit more difficult because not because there's any judgment on, on teenagers, actually quite the opposite. They're already going through so many changes, you know, and to, and to have them open up in those years, it just adds more confusion. So teenagers tend to not want to work with their parents. They want to work with somebody else because, you know, the parents totally don't know what they're doing, which is normal, completely normal. Um, but working with them, you're able to have a more in-depth conversation than you are with a four-year-old to say, okay, no, this is really what's going on. This is what could happen if you walk too far down this road. Uh, a lot of teenagers that I work with have been, you know, exploring and, you know, I've got 20 books on this and I'm interested in this. And sometimes they're interested in dark magic and et cetera, et cetera. And you have to sit down and say, okay, here are the real possibilities on what could happen. And, 
um, here's how you can actually increase your intuition, but it needs to be kept in these realms. Do you know what I mean? So start one with protecting yourself. And then number two, let's talk about how you as a unique intuitive can, can function. With that said, the only, uh, tough spot for parents, not the only tough spot, but one of the big ones (laughs) I will say is when intuition is used as, um, a way to say that they're special. And that's also very natural. And what I try to tell parents is don't shut down the intuition, don't poo-poo the intuition, but find other areas in your child's life where they're special. Uh, What else is it? Are they an artist? Are they compassionate? Are they uh, reliable? Like remind your child what what makes you special? Because all of us are intuitive (laughs) and your child's intuition is open, but we just hope that they don't identify themselves as that's the only reason that they're special, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I've seen that in a couple of cases myself where um, it's it, you can almost see the teenager getting completely overwhelmed by their intuitive ability or what they're picking up on. They may be more of that empathic personality. So, you know, it's like being around a peer group is too hard or too much because they're absorbing. And if there's that over identity, then they begin to kind of lose their uh, normalcy of what it's like to be a teenager, you know, so it's kind of... You can, yeah, there. I think that there's a balance. You want to normalize and allow them to have, you know, a regular experience without this getting completely blown out of the water and carried away. But teaching them how to use it as a skill to function in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Because there's a tipping point. I tell parents if they've never experienced this before and their child's just opening up, or they've ex- been exploring spirituality and, and metaphysics, and they're having more and more intuitive moments. There's a tipping point because in the beginning, it can be very exciting when a teenager wakes up and they see a red umbrella, red boots and a a white poodle. And then they go outside and somebody fitting that description walks down and they're like, wow, that was an intuitive moment. That's really excited, exciting. This is what I can do. But the further they go down that road without being without seeking balance and spiritual protection, there becomes a tipping point where all of a sudden it becomes uncomfortable because there are spirits in this realm that, you know, are, are maybe not the, don't have the best intentions and things like that. And they can run into those situations and then it becomes too much and then it's scary. And then they start to panic. So no fault of their own that they're exploring But the sooner that they can become balanced and the sooner that they can become protected, the sooner they can avoid that, that heading that far into something that all of a sudden becomes very uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, speaking about kind of those spirits that can linger around or poke and have some fun, maybe we'll switch gears one more time because I know the other thing that you also do is space clearing. Yes. Yes. Uh, that is one of uh, my favorite things to do. Um, when I opened up, I, I met a guide. I I was so naive. I didn't even know what a guide was. I just thought I was talking to this cool guy every now and then that was really nice and helping me. (laughs) Eventually he's like, let's talk about the concept of guides. Um, I mean, I didn't have any spirit. I didn't have any friends that were spiritual or metaphysical. I remember going to my Tai Chi instructor, because I was taking Tai Chi 
And I remember after class, I walked up to him and said, okay, you're the weirdest guy I know. Can you help me? And I was, I was so confused with what was happening. And he was just a doll. He's still a friend of mine today. He's an absolutely amazing man. And um, he did. He helped me. But I really went into this with um, knowing nobody. So I'm talking to this guy and talking to him. And he starts to express to me that, you know, a lot of intuitives that are working intuitives. And I don't mean in the public, I mean, working for spirit, doing, doing their, their job that they need to do. Um, they're all different. And he told me, he says, your job is to cross people over. And I said, well, that sounds downright scary. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, all I knew was ghost stories at that point. Um, and so I was, a tenant, you know, hesitated a little bit, but I slowly stepped into it. And so it is, that is my spiritual job here on earth. When I run into somebody who is stuck in the in-between, I cross them over. And what I really love about that, the space clearings, the house clearings, is that many, many, many times somebody's trying to sell their home and it won't sell. And it's usually because of some sort of, not usually, but sometimes it's spiritual, you know, effects and you go in and clear the space. What I love about it is that the people that are wanting to move forward in their life are able to do it. And the people that are destined to find this new home and buy it and love it, get to do it. So you get to watch everyone start to move forward as a result of the clearing. So that's why I love the space clearing so much. And, um, I know I'm rambling a little here, but I got to tell you my favorite story. <laughs> um, I do space clearings for, uh, businesses as well. And a gentleman asked me to come and clear his, um, antique shop, a shop full of antiques. And I walked in and I realized I was way over my head because what I didn't know ahead of time. And I got the instructions of my guides when I got there is that I was to clear the spirit that was, you know, pestering this shop owner but I couldn't affect any items in the store because they were antiques and antiques each have their own vibration and they hold the history. So I couldn't just sweep out and clear the whole space. I literally had to navigate my way through and not affect any of the objects in the place. So it was actually quite challenging, but wow, it was funny. It was just humorous. It was like, wow, okay, this is a lot more complicated than I'm used to, but here we go. And, um, as long as you, you know, as long as you follow the guide's instructions, you're always going to be okay. But, um, I do love the space clearings. I love helping people cross over that are stuck in the in-between because I believe everybody should go home, um, should have that right to go home. And I love seeing the forward momentum of the people that are able to move on and the people that are able to move in. And why, why do some people get stuck? Uh, people who have passed just yes like, people <laughs> yes sorry yep yes yes okay. people who passed. <laughs> you know i love that we always have that question in our realms don't we living yes. or deceased okay sure. mm -hmm. um i have seen so many different reasons that my first answer is always there's unlimited reasons i have seen um a mom who thought if she crossed over she wouldn't be able to watch over her kids anymore i have seen a woman who got in a car accident while she was uh high on drugs and so she thought she was still having a bad trip i have seen um people who uh, countless people who had a really strong uh, belief structure and they were scared that they were going to help. Um, I have, I've 
rarely have seen anyone who was really suffering and wanted to cross over. I rarely see that because the crossover process itself is automatic. There's a pull. When you hear people talking about the past, uh, not past life, what am I thinking of? The near-death experiences. They all say the same thing. I was just pulled to the light. So to remain in the in-between, there has to be some sort of an action or a thought process where a person can get stuck. Um, and if someone's afraid of going to hell, that'll do it. Uh, if they're, um, you know, uh, confused in the process, sometimes they can kind of hold still and, and not let that automatic pull happen. Um, my favorite one I was when I ran into, and this one was, I was just, at like a, a store, walking through the store, and sometimes you run into a spirit that is in the in-between um, and stuck. And it was a, a middle-aged male, very nice man. And I said to him in my head, obviously, because <laughs> otherwise you look a little crazy in a store. But in my mind, I said, are you okay? And, and you know, do you, do you know what's happening? And he said, yeah. He said, I, I died, but I'm confused because when you die, that's it. And I said, oh. And, and I, I said, are you you know, atheist. And he said, well, yes. And when you die, that's it. That's it. And I was like, okay. And he was so nice, but he was very kind and polite. And I said, well, you're talking to me though. And he said, I know. And this is very confusing. And I said, you know what, we could just make this really simple. He said, can you help me quickly? Because I don't like this confusion. And I said, yes, I can. I said, look around. Is there any, any door, any light, any door, anything like that? He goes, well, there's a door over there. And I said, okay, great. Go through it. He goes, and then it'll be done, right? And I said, yeah, it'll, it'll be done. It'll be done. He's like, thank you so much, ma'am. And I said, oh, you're welcome, sir. He was just the nicest guy. But his mind frame and his belief was there was no other side. So he held still. He held still because he was ready for it to just be done. And it's it was he was just so sweet. He was just such a nice man. But it's really belief structure. Put it that way. It's, it's really a mental uh, component when it comes to the in-between. Yeah. Wow. Well, this was just such a fun and lighthearted conversation. Um, I feel like that we covered quite a bit, but I'd also like you to give our listeners um, the place where they can go to to check out uh, your Sage Method, your website. I mean, you have a lot of different resources on there. You have free resources. I know um, there's your membership to sign up is free as well. You run some meditation classes online. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about your services. Yes, absolutely. Um, the website itself is thesagecommunity.com. And I love building community. And the reason is, is um, I've run into so many people over the years who uh, are walking a spiritual path, but perhaps their friends and family aren't. So um, they don't really have a lot of people to talk to. So that's the concept between that's the concept around the community. So in the sagecommunity.com, what you'll find is blogs, videos that are some, you know, somewhat instructional and fun, but you'll also find a Facebook group where you can connect with people. There is uh, meditation sessions that happen twice a month. There is a free intuitive course on the top five intuitive tools. And that's a video course, which is, which is kind of nice instead of just reading through a blog. It's actually nice to, to watch the videos. Um, and then there's just the community as a whole, where to be in, in a closed Facebook group of people that are all looking to increase their intuition or express their curiosity in spirituality. If you don't have a community, this is, this is a great way to do it. 
Yeah. And, and I find that a lot, especially people who are just coming into their or awake, coming into their own awakening, or they begin their more in-depth spiritual path, or they begin to have experiences or a paranormal experience or wake up to their own intuition. They, it can be a process that feels very lonely. And like you said, trying to find those people that you can share these experiences with without people thinking that you're absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know? Exactly, so. exactly. And the Sage Method course itself, it's a seven-week course. It's an intensive course. Um, and I've heard many, many, I've taught hundreds of students in that course, actually. And many times I hear, you know, the words life-changing, which just warms my heart. And that course is found in, in the sagecommunity.com as well. Yeah. And I mean, the list of topics that you cover in that seven week course, I mean, I don't know if I don't think you've missed a thing in there, you know, <laughs> from the spiritual balancing to understanding your own personal programming, um, guided communication, time space continuum. I mean, it just like goes on, you do pendulum work, card readings, I mean, all of it is there. So it, that looks like that is a course um, that is loaded with stuff in seven weeks. Yeah. And this is not a course that a medium built about mediumship. This is an overall course that allows you to explore over the course of seven weeks who you are uniquely. I'm not teaching people, certainly not teaching people to be me. I'm teaching people to harness their own unique intuition and the exercises, um, not all exercises work for everybody, but all the exercises are in there. So the ones that work for you help you to get to your unique self, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that our paths crossed and, um, it was a pleasure to have you on the path 11 podcast. And if you have more stuff coming up in the future, please let us know and, uh, we'll share more stuff with our listeners. That is excellent. Thank you for having me. This was absolutely wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day, four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back, uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people. Uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are 
just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 